Oh, good morning. Good to have you all here. I don't know if you saw that Mark and Lisa are back. We had to bring them back from vacation a little bit early because some of the uh, dungeon dwellers that I've been razzing for the last two weeks kind of starting to twitch a little bit. So hopefully he'll go down in the next service and uh, kind of mend some of those fences. But um, for those of you who aren't aware, I've been teasing over the last two weeks, we have what we call F3 which is um, part of us meeting downstairs in a smaller environment, and uh, it's just kind of fun to give them a little bit of difficulty from time to time. <clears throat> so fun to be part of a family, isn't it? To be able to enjoy one another and enjoy the Lord together and encourage one another in all of that. Well, uh, we have been going through a series, and we've been talking about in the last week and now this week and then next week as well, we've been talking about several different prayers of Paul. What we're uh, looking for in those prayers is what we're calling what really matters. How do we answer that question? We started off two weeks ago talking about a concept, a principle, that my thinking determines my attitude, which determines my actions. I hope that is well driven into your hearts and minds now. hope that's something that the Lord has been using in your own life as He's been using it in mine as well. But... Um, thinking about these different things that we're looking at and, and trusting God to change our thinking so that it begins to align up wherever it doesn't, that it begins to align itself with what God says is right thinking. And as we do that, then uh, our attitudes are going to change in regards to that and ultimately our actions as well. And so we've been looking at these prayers of Paul to see, well, what did he pray for for those believers that he was writing to? What was important? What did the Spirit of God actually lay on his heart to write down for them? And I just want to review here for you. We were in Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles and you can turn to Ephesians, please do so. You can follow along there. But um, just by way of review, in chapter 1, he actually says... Uh, there was four things that we mentioned that he was praying for. The first thing was that he, he prayed that there, we would have the spirit or disposition of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's important for us to understand who God is. And not just knowing something about him, but beginning to know him. To, to have a personal relationship with him where we know him, we can say, hey, I know God. And it's not in, in the nth degree. It's not to the full completion. God is unknowable in that sense that He is an eternal God. He is an he is a, a, um, infinite God. And we're going to have an opportunity through all of eternity of learning about Him and getting to know Him more. But there's a knowledge about Him, a fuller knowledge that is both uh, what we understand intellectually, but also what we begin to understand experientially. We find out that who he says he is, he actually is in the way that he interacts with us, in the way he engages with us. So that was part of what Paul was praying. And then he said that the eyes of your uh, heart be enlightened so that you would know. And now he lists off several things there. The first one was the hope of his calling. That we would understand all that he has called us into and that there is a hope for us that those very things are what he is committed to bringing about in our lives. Now, He doesn't do that without our participation with Him, but He is doing His part. We have to yield. We have to partner together with Him. We participate with the Spirit of God as He's working this into our lives and developing the things that He wants to develop, which is the very life of Christ being displayed through our bodies. He also prayed that you would know that you are His inheritance. <clears throat> and I mentioned this one to me is 
is especially profound because I'm amazed that God would see you and I as His inheritance and that that would mean something to Him. That He would have value to that. And all too often we listen to our own mindset or the people around us and what they say about us to define who we are as opposed to listening to Him and letting Him define who we are. And he delights in the fact that you are His inheritance. And we talked about not wanting to change that, not wanting to transpose that in our minds to thinking it's we are his, or he, we have an inheritance rather, but we are his inheritance. And then he goes on to say, uh, the last one, that we would know his power that is exercised towards us. It's actually directed in our way. And we uh, mentioned as an example of that, that when I say no to sin, that is an expression of power. And that is God's power towards me. As a believer, now in Jesus Christ, the power of sin has been destroyed. I no longer have to choose to sin. I had no choice in that as an unbeliever, but now as a believer, I actually have a choice. That's why you have so many words in the Scripture that are what I call choice words. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Let is a choice. You make a decision. You decide. I'm going to allow it. I'm not going to allow it. Well, the fact that you have that freedom of choice is because the power of God towards you. And whenever those temptations come and they're so strong, we feel like almost like a robot, like I have no choice, we're reminded by the Spirit of God, yes, you do. And this is the very power that raised Christ from the dead is the very power that's available to us. So that's what we saw in that first prayer that Paul was making to these believers. If you have those Bibles open, turn then to chapter 3, because we're going to look now at the, at the next uh, um, prayer that Paul makes. And we, as you're turning there, I want to remind you of several things. <clears throat> One is that the reason that we are looking, or a reason that we are looking into these, is because we want to actually pray these same things for ourselves. We want to go ask God for these same things because we believe that it's important as far as God is concerned that it, it's true in our lives and it's impacting our lives so that it might then in turn impact others. So we want to be discipled in these things. But not only for us, but we want for the Lord to do a work in our lives to then partner us up with other people that we might be able to pass this on. There's something about the experiential understanding of the Word of God tied together then with the, with the um, actual Word of God to be able to say, hey, this is what God says and, and let me demonstrate it to you. Let me explain that to you. And there's something that resonates within our own spirit as that happens. We begin to get a hold of some of that truth. And I would submit that there's times when um, truth has to be tied to the heart by another individual. Not always. But sometimes when someone else walks along life's path with us and helps us, that truth that you say you believe, that, this is how that's played out. Oh, I get that. And we begin to tie those together. All right. So if you're in chapter 3 of Ephesians, we're going to look at this next prayer. In verse 14 is where we're going to pick it up. <clears throat> now you'll notice he says, for this reason. And when you look at that, it's kind of like, um, therefore, you know, it's these words that tell us, hey, there's something that's gone on before this that God is wanting for us to know. And if you look at this, you'll find that in the first verse of chapter 3, he starts out with the same way. He says, for this reason. And then Paul kind of deviates. 
And I think it's a spirit, well, I know it's a spirit-led deviation. It's not like he just has ADD or something like that, right? Like some of us struggle with that kind of stuff. He's actually wanting to say something there from verse 1 to verse 14 that's led by the Spirit of God to do that. But that, this backs us up to verse 1. And when he says, for this reason in verse 1, it actually backs us up into chapter 2 there where he says that he has made all of us to be a dwelling place of him. That there's something that God desires for all of us to be involved in and, and enjoying together. And that's why then Paul says, and it's for this reason then that I want to say these things. I want to pray these things. So let's look at this. <clears throat> he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So there's his, his uh, prayer for those believers. And again, we're wanting to read that because God, we're wanting for you to change our thinking about this. Wherever you, you need to reveal that we're, we're wrong in this, help us to see that because we want to line up with you. We want to partner together with you because that's what you want. So we're going to work our way down through this. He says, the first part there, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. So Paul is praying for something here, and he's telling us, I called it last night a bookend. He's going to tell us something that, that, that is rich for us, and he's going to say here, this, what I'm going to tell you is according to the riches of His glory. In other words, you can look at that phraseology and you can say, there is no possible way that this can't be done. In other words, God is capable of doing everything that you're asking Him to do in this particular prayer. Because it's according to the riches of His glory. He is so, can I call it, filthy rich in glory that it never ever stymies Him. It never stops Him. He's not incapable of doing what we're going to talk about. That is so important that Paul states it here as a bookend to begin that prayer, and then he's going to end in, in a similar fashion. You watch for that as we go into this, okay? So he says, I'm praying that he would grant to you. Now notice again, we've, we've said this before in the other prayer, that this is something that we're trusting God for. This is not something that we can bring upon ourselves in the sense of just by sheer determination, or by the repetition of saying these things over and over again, or any other kind of human effort. It is God doing a work in our lives through His Spirit to teach us these things. But I participate with that. I can resist Him. I can grieve Him. I can quench Him. Right? I can say no to Him. He won't force that upon me. I have the privilege, though, of partnering together, of joining together, and saying, Lord, as You desire to bring that about in my life, I desire that same thing, so let's go down this road together. And we're trusting Him to do what only He can really do. And so Paul prays, and he says that He would grant you. He would provide this. He would give this to you. And this is the first thing that he prays for. And it's all according to the riches of, of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened with might 
through His Spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened. That, that phraseology is talking about the, the power or ability to, to um, uh, uh, live the way He wants for me to live, to accomplish the things that He wants to accomplish through me. Like It's an it's a all-encompassing kind of strength. We oftentimes look at this when it comes to a recognition that we are without strength. And we say, God, I need you for this. But this word that he's talking about is not just in that context. It's in all contexts. It's all the time. Whether or not we recognize that we need him or whether we think, hey, I've got this. He wants us to be strengthened with might, with power, and the place where that happens is in the inner man. It's down deep within you. Notice he's not saying the outer, outer man. I think it's in Colossians, uh, is it Colossians chapter 2? or first, I'm getting my, my references messed up where he says that our outer man is perishing. I have glasses that prove that out, right? I, I, I won't even turn sideways for you to see how... What else is being proved out, right? The outer man is perishing. It's withering away. It's going away. It's having problems. See what I'm saying? <laughs> but the inner man, the inner man can be strengthened. In fact, the Word of God says day by day even, right? How is that happening? It is happening through His Spirit, so that again tells us we've, we've got to link up with Him. We've got to partner together with Him. Now, I want to say this to you because I think you're probably like me. I can hear those kinds of things and give mental assent to them. I can say, yes, it's by the Spirit of God. And then turn right around and endeavor to do it in my own strength. Do you find an identity with that? Can you, you know what I'm talking about with that? Oh, well, this is what's... Oh, I'm supposed to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. So, oh, so what I'm going to do is... And then we go into something that we think we're going to do in order to accomplish that. Even though we've just read that is through His Spirit. And this is the crazy thing. His Spirit is more than capable of strengthening you in the inner man. The inner man being the very essence of who you are. That moral person who he defines you to be strengthened at that level it's not so deep that he can't get there right he's capable of doing that the next thing that paul then prays is he says that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that's another thing that he wants to see happen with us now just like um, we're talking about his inheritance and sometimes we get this flipped around in our own minds too we know, or hopefully you know anyways, that at the moment that you put your trust in Christ for your salvation, you were indwelt by the Spirit of God. He was caused to indwell you. He lives within you. The Spirit of God does right now. That's what the Word of God teaches us. And we call that the indwelling, where He comes inside us. It's easy for us to think that way when we read this, but He's talking about something different here when He says this. He's praying, to believe, or he's praying for believers who have already been indwelt, right? That's already something that happened. You may not have even known that at the moment you got saved, but that occurred. It didn't occur because you made it happen. It occurred because God decreed it to be so. When someone puts their trust in my Son for their salvation, my Spirit will live within them. He will reside within them in a permanent way. And He becomes a stamp upon us as proof positive that we belong to Him. 
I love that. But here he's saying now to believers, I'm asking for something else. I'm asking that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This word dwell means to be at home, to to relax, to to enjoy being there. I'll illustrate it this way. Um, So our son Ben and Ashley LeMay got married. And before they got married, Tim and Angie invited us into their home. They let us stay with them for a while. And you could see right away that they wanted to help us to feel at home, right? You guys who are hospitable, you know what I'm talking about. And so guess what? They actually told us what their code was for their house to get in. Well, if we're not there, this is the number you can punch to get in. And then they said, and make yourself at home. Now we arrive... And we are wanting to be respectful, wanting to be careful, and we come, we've been living in Canada for X number of years, and we're used to taking our shoes off when we walk in. That's really not an American thing to do, but it is in our family, so we take our shoes off. And they're like, oh, you don't need to do that, right? Because why? They want us to feel at home. They, they begin to show us things about their house. Here's where your bedroom is. Here's the towels to you know, when dry off with. And, and here's the fridge. And look, it's stocked. And, and they're, they're just being hospitable. Why? Because they're trying to help us to dwell with them. And as we first were getting to know them, we were probably a bit reserved. But they're finding that we're becoming less reserved. Maybe they don't want that. But it's happening. And Ashley comes to our house and I remember her coming out in the morning and she goes over to the, to the fridge and she opens it up and she looks in. And right away I thought, oh, she's feeling at home. She's relaxing. She's making this hers because that's what we've actually told her. Ashley, this home is your home now. You're, you're free to do what you do in your home. Do it here. Enjoy that. And I've just been watching her as little by little she feels more and more comfortable doing all of that. No, I don't want water for lunch. I want, there's cranberry juice. That's what I want, right? Good for you. You get the picture? So there's a a perspective here that he's talking about where God wants to actually dwell, not indwell, he's already indwelt us, but now to dwell with us, to be at home in us. And how does that happen? He says, through faith. We trust Him for these things. Just with with Tim and Angie, we had to trust that what they said, they meant. Make yourself at home. We were actually in a, a dear friend of ours' house, and she had said that. We had been in her house multiple times, and my wife is sitting on the couch, and she decided to put her feet up on the, what do you call it, coffee table? And all of a sudden got the look. You now know that you have made yourself a little too much at home in that moment, right? Off the feet come and just gently put back down and make sure we didn't scuff that. Okay, right? How do we feel at home? Is there reservation? Is there limitation? God, you're allowed in this part of my life, but you're not allowed in that part of my life. You can't feel at home there. This is reserved for me. I don't want to give up that attitude. I don't want to give up whatever that particular thing is that's ungodly. I don't want you to feel home. So, but he's praying. That has to be done through faith. We have to trust God for those things. We have to believe that this is what He wants, and God, therefore, that's what we want. And it happens at the heart level. That's the inner man is where that's occurring. 
So we're to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. That's the, that's the way that works, right? As He strengthens us and we make choices in regards to that, we find that He's at home with us. I love that kind of phrase. <clears throat> he goes on then to pray even more. He talks about love next. And he says in this, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now just so you know, the tense of that is having been rooted and grounded in love. That's a past tense, in other words. That's telling us that something has already happened. So when he's writing to the believer and he says, listen, you already having been rooted and grounded in love, and then he's going to go on to talk about understanding the love of God. Okay, just so you know, we've already read this. But he's starting off saying, you've already been rooted and grounded in this. In other words, it's not something that we have to do. It happened to us. It's already been accomplished. Now again, going back to Tim LeMay, he and I love to talk a little bit about um, plants. And he told me about a rose that he got. It was a clipped off rose and he stuck that in water and lo and behold, it started to grow some roots. And next thing you know, he's got a, enough roots there where he can take that plant out of water, but he's going to go put it in the ground. Where's he going to put it? He has a little driveway right there beside his house that has some gravel in that. Is that where he's going to put it? Stuff it down in those rocks and say, have at it, Rose. You make it or break it, right? No. He finds a little place alongside of his house and he works that soil and he breaks it all up and he gets it ready for that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he waters it and he makes sure that there's fertilizer, there's food for that plant to grow, and then he plants it, right? It's rooted in soil that will help it to grow and that's what he's talking about with this he's saying in regards to love you've already been rooted and grounded grounded would be a foundational word rooted would be a plantation word he's trying to communicate some truth to us that we would recognize and say well god that's what's already happened how do we know that John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So when I put my trust in Him for my salvation, I'm already rooted in that love. It's already something that has happened. I may not comprehend it all. I may not understand it all. And that's what He's going to be praying about here. But it's already begun for us. It's not something that we have to figure out on our own. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says this. It says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit of God. Already has been. That's a past tense word, right? So these are verses that tell us this has already been accomplished, whether we feel it or not, whether we understand it or not. But he's stating it so that we will walk by faith in that. So he says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. Now, I love this uh, phrase there, with all the saints, because what he's going to tell us here is something that's possible for all of us. Every one of us has the opportunity for this particular prayer to be fulfilled in our lives. We, we're never in a place where it's like, no, that's beyond me, that's for somebody else. I'm just not that kind of person it's not true he says with all the saints so that gives us hope right that's part of that hope of his calling every one of us we've been called to understand the love of god are we pursuing it do we want that for ourselves 
Are we praying for that? Asking God to reveal it to us. He says that you may be able to comprehend. Now this word comprehend actually is probably better uh, translated with with the word apprehend because it's talking about not just an intellectual understanding but making it mine that you he's praying that you would be able to apprehend that you would take it on as your possession this belongs to me do you remember that there was a disciple of christ he actually wrote wrote one of the gospels i'm trying to work you towards him pop it into your head do you remember this guy so either matthew mark luke or john okay just so you know there's four choices and this is what the one guy said multiple times i am the one who jesus loves do you know who i'm talking about it's john john was the he stated that now just so you know john was not more loved than any other disciple john was not more special than any other disciple But John possessed or apprehended this concept. He said, I'm the one whom Jesus loves. I identify myself that way. I recognize He loves me. How amazing is that? Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that this is what I call one of the holes of the heart. Love. It's a need of the heart that can I say, will be satisfied. And what I mean by that is we will go to any length in order for that hole to be filled. If you don't believe me, just go out into the world and watch. Listen to some of the most popular songs that are out there and guess what you'll hear? Themes of love. Watch people. They will be pursuing somebody to love them. They'll go to great lengths. Sometimes they'll go to degradation in order for that to, quote, be filled. But they will never find it because that particular hole of the heart that's filled by love can only be met by God. The good thing is is that He actually loves us. So He's actually giving of that love. But as long as we are insecure of that, we will continue to work, be agitated, pursue, go after love and the confirmation of that in our hearts. But as that begins to settle down, as that begins to become more secure for us, guess what it does for us? It brings rest. When the Lord chastens us, for example, we're no longer asking the question of, does He love me? Have you ever done that? Have you ever found yourself in in difficult situations? Maybe it's piling up one after another after another, and and you begin to wonder, well, why is God letting this happen? Does He not love me anymore? And it tells you right away, as as your thinking comes out of your mouth, it tells you right away that I have skewed thinking. That somehow difficulties in life equate He doesn't love me. But it's so not true. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It says the ones that He loves, He chastens. The reason He does that is because He identifies you as His child. And the Scripture tells us that the Father doesn't discipline children who are not his the father disciplines his own children when my kids are being raised by me if you came along and tried to discipline i'd say thank you very much but i'm their dad i'll I'll do that myself or vice versa you'd stop me too right that is not your right tim this is my responsibility to do that our father takes on the responsibility and he never lets go of it so the one he loves he chastens 
So now I begin to look at that differently, realizing, oh, I belong to him. And he's trying to work out some of the things that are, that are unnecessary in my life. And he's trying to work in some of the things that are necessary in my life. So I get more and more to this place of saying, Lord, I want to be able to apprehend just like everybody else can. And he says, uh, what is the width and length and depth and height? These are different, th- these are different aspects, right? Right? In other words, their dimensions of it, the, the, the length of it. How far will he go? I think the prodigal son's father is a classic example of that. I think when the son came home, as he's coming across the horizon and dad sees that walk and recognizes, that's my son right there, and he runs to him, there's an expression of the length that our father will go to to love us. And the son is like saying, oh, well, Dad, I, you know, I'm unworthy. Oh, we'll have none of that. Let me put my arms around you. Oh, kill the fatted calf. My son has come home. Right? Why? Because he loves us. Was the son in degradation? Yes. Did he need to grow and mature? Yes. But the father still loved him through all of that. And we begin to learn some of these things. Our hearts need to learn some of these things. And so God lets us go through a variety of circumstances that often are confusing for us, but they're intentional on His part so that we would know these things. So let me just warn you, if you're going to ask God that He would teach you about His love, the, how does He say, the width, the length, the depth, the height. If you're going to ask God for those things, you need to realize that you can't tell Him how He's going to do that. Right? You can't dictate to him, God, this is, this is my love language, God. Now this is how you have to speak it to me. I'm not trying to downplay love languages. Us humans need to understand that so that we communicate well to each other. But God speaks all five languages fluently. And I actually think he knows a few more that we don't have in our five. He's more than capable of communicating that. But when he does, he does it in the most perfect way. In the best communication. He's the great communicator is what he is. He's able to communicate that across to us and actually meet the needs of our heart as it pertains to love. Some of us have been searching for that all of our lives and have never been able to find it because we've been looking in the wrong places. Paul prays that we would know this as believers, that we would know this, and he summarizes it in the next verse, verse 19. He's just encapsulating all of those dimensions. He says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now I've heard people say that we can never know the love of Christ. And I say, well then you're going to have to explain that verse to me then. Because to me it seems like he's saying, no, I actually can. Now again, I'm not saying that we know it to the nth degree. He's an eternal God. He's an infinite God. Right, So we're going to be basking in the knowledge of His love and the expressions of His love through all of eternity. I can't wait to find out what that's going to look like. Right? How different will that be in heaven versus now here on earth? Here on earth, for example, He's providing for me. He is actually allowing me to eat. He's putting shelter over. Like He's providing the needs of my life. But some of those will be gone when I'm in heaven. What other ways is he going to express this love? I don't know. But I'm excited to see it. Because it's out of the heart of God, right? 
that he's expressing, that he's helping us to know, oh, we're going to all be, I'm the one he loves. No, I'm the one he loves. No, I'm the one he loves. Right? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. This is, again, that experiential knowledge, not just the intellect, not just understanding it, because this is the word, the word of God says, for God so loved the world that he... And so now it's just being pushed into our heads, but that it's actually being expressed. I was thinking about this. Um, <clears throat> do you remember elementary school? Do you remember your buddy wanting for you to go tell so-and-so that he or she liked that person, right? Hey, go tell her that I like her. And so... <laughs> Uh, he likes you, do you like him, yes or no, kind of stuff, right? Do you remember that? You can do that, but somewhere along the line, your buddy has to express it. Your buddy has to say it. Your buddy has to actually begin to act in accordance to that love. Because in this case, <laughs> obviously, I'm, my buddy's a guy, and I'm going to a girl, and I'm saying, hey, my buddy likes you, do you like him? That might, like, Twitter-pate her heart. You know what I mean by that? Like, woo this is, yeah, because I like him too. Or it might go, oh, my word, he's a creeper. Who knows? But if it Twitter-pates it, if, if, yeah, and he doesn't do anything about that, it withers and dies. So I can stand up here and I can teach on this and to know the love of Christ, but I'm, I'm going for my buddy, so to speak. I'm expressing something. But the reality of that is that God actually wants to express that. And as He does, He captivates our hearts. I use the term woo. He draws us to Himself, right? He's so gracious to us. He's so kind to us. Even when He chastens us, we know, the Scripture tells us that we know that it's for our good. And in our immaturity, we act like our kids did when they were disciplined, and we wail and we cry about that, right? But sooner or later, we begin to recognize this is for my benefit, and we begin to partner together with that. And so it is with God. Oh, Lord. This is another expression of that. And we begin to understand this to know the love of Christ, it says, which passes knowledge. And that's referring to like human knowledge. What is natural for us? It goes beyond that. The Scripture says, oh, what foreign kind of love this is that we should be called the children of God. In other words, it's foreign to us. It's incredible. How would you call me your child? Why would you identify me as your child? Look at the mess you got here, Lord. And yet he does. It's foreign to the human way. But it's not foreign to him. Agape love is his love. It's God's love. And he actually wants to live it out through us. So the knowing of the love of Christ is not just the knowing of it for me, but it's also the knowing of it so that it passes through me to others as well. And God begins to teach us even a little bit more about that as we express that love. I can remember going to Bible school. I'm fresh out of home. It's the first time I'm away, kind of living on my own. 
and I became, what, uh, what do they call her, RA or a proctor or whatever, like I was in charge of that dorm. And a freshman shows up, and he's sicker than a dog, and he's in the bathroom getting rid of it, if you know what I'm saying. And it was like the Lord said, you know what that's like, go in and comfort him. I don't want to do that, Lord. I know you don't want to do that. But I want you to do that. I love him and I want you to express that love to him. You should be empathetic because you've experienced some of that same kind of stuff. Okay, I'll do it. I go into the bathroom and there's a door there and it's like, hey dude, you alright in there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, done. No. No, 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 no. You go in there with them. Are you kidding me, God? That's crazy stuff. I don't want to go in there. It's in the bathroom. Put your hand on them. Go in there and touch them. Because you know what it's like when a person is communicating love by touch. Touch them. Tell them. How can I help you? What do you need? Oh, I begin to learn a little bit more about the love of God as He works that through my life then, right? It's not human. It's godly. And then lastly, He says to us, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's ultimately what he's taking us through as he, as he talks about this strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. As he talks about us dwelling, or being a, a dwelling place for him. As he talks about us knowing love, he says ultimately, so that you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. That, in other words, the very life expression of God might be displayed through our mortal body. That's what he's talking about. You can't do it. You can try, but it's fake fruit. It's false. You put on a good front, but you can't do what is only God and his ability to do. The authenticity of the life of Christ being displayed through your mortal body is because you yield to the Spirit of God and you allow him to live that out in you. And guess what? I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. That's what the Word of God says, right, about Christ. Just as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so too Christ. And a way in which he's being lifted up, besides Calvary as well, but a way is also through the life of the believer. He's being demonstrated. He's being displayed. There it is. That's what it looks like. And the world begins to see some of that stuff and says, I want something of that. I don't know what that is, but I want some of that. He begins to draw them to himself. That's his intent. Why? That he may get glory out of this. Now, I told you that there's a bookend, right? Like it starts, he says, according to the riches of his glory. And we might be reading through these things and we might be thinking, wow, God, this is incredible, but this is just way too much. I don't think this, I don't, I don't know about that. But he wants to make sure we catch this. So he throws another bookend. And I want you to walk through this with me. Look at the next verse. He, sa he starts out, he says, now to him. All right, so, so he's just told us all of these things that, that I'm praying for this and I'm praying for this and I'm praying for this and he helps to realign our thinking with this phrase, now to him and he brings us back to God. Now to, okay, I look at this and I say, how am I supposed to know the love of God? Well, that's beyond me, right. That's because I have my eyes on myself. I'm supposed to make it so that, so that he can dwell with me. No, he's got to do a work of cleaning that out. He's got to clean house sometimes, right? Like that's his job. So he's drawing our attention back to him. Now to him, now to him who is able. 
We're not just talking about him. We're actually being told he's capable of something here. He's able. Now to him who is able to do. It's not latent. It's not like, oh, I have this ability, but then I won't use it. No, he's able to do. We, we can have confidence in this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly. So he begins to give us some, some, some uh, understanding of how this goes, like how far this goes. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. He ties those two words together. It's exceedingly abundantly. It's more than enough. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above, he just keeps piling it on. You get it? You understand what he's trying to do is like, hey, if you think that this is impossible, let me just remind you that there is one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. And then, above all that we think. (laughs) That think is like, thinking attitude action it's what i'm considering my ability to consider what god is able to do can never outdistance what he is able to do did you follow that my thinking i'll never dream up what god can do and that exceed what he actually can do what he can do is exceedingly abundantly above all that i would ever ask of him which is what paul is doing here in this prayer and what we're being admonished to do or what I could ever think. Oh, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful to know the love of God? Yes, and you know what? He's able to do above all that we ever ask or think is what he's capable of. That's what we can trust him for. And the last verse then goes on to say, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ, the head, and you and I, the body, tied together and displaying the glory of God. Why? Because He's worth that. And so as I grow in my understanding of His love for me, for example, He gets glory. Because my heart begins to rest in that and trust Him for these things. How incredible. Dare we ask Him for these things? I submit we dare. And let's do that right now. Father, Thank you so much for these truths. They are, they are lofty. They're high. We might say, like the psalmist, I can't attain that. I can't get there. But that wouldn't be true because the very power that raised you from the dead is the very power that lives within us and teaches us and guides us into all truth. Father, help us to understand the work of your Spirit in our lives and to yield ourselves to him as he reveals to us more and more of this great love that you have for us. And that as that impacts our lives, you would use that in turn to impact others. Oh God, we want to collectively trust you together for this truth to be borne out in our lives. We anticipate it, we pray for it, we rejoice in it, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.